0: Hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real people, imperfect stories and the God who's constantly at work in our mess. I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this podcast, which airs every other Tuesday and has also partnered with my church, Life Church. We're typically geared toward women and feel called to encourage women specifically, but it's almost Father's Day and we recognize that God created both male and female, and we couldn't do what we do or be who we are without the incredible men who love us, support us and make life better. I've personally experienced the impact of a dad's love in my life. My dad not only taught me to change a flat tire and help me survive algebra, but he was there every event, competition, performance I was ever involved in. And he taught me to lean in and wrestle with the tough questions of life and modeled what it looked like to trust God no matter what good or bad circumstance came our way. My grandfathers and father-in-law have also lived out what it means to leave a godly legacy. But whether you had a positive or negative father figure in your life, Our God, our Heavenly Father, loves you, His child, more than you could ever imagine. He's the one we can look to. He's the perfect example for us to follow. So today we're doing something a little different. For the first time since this podcast launched a little over a year ago, we're getting a man's perspective on marriage and parenting from my favorite guy in the world. Derek Jewell is my husband, best friend, pastor, baby daddy, teammate, and he's just full of all kinds of insight and wisdom as we navigate this crazy world together. Quick disclosure. We're not claiming to be experts or to have it all figured out, but we're honored to share what God has taught us and is continuing to show us on this journey. Feel free to text or tag some of your favorite men who might enjoy this conversation. We also have details on a book giveaway at the end of this episode. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us at The Messy Table. Well, how does it feel to be the first man ever at the messy table?
1: Wow. Um, You know, I can only imagine what Neil Armstrong felt like when he put (laughs) his foot on the moon for the very first time. Um, That's how I feel. You're such a pioneer. Right now. I also feel like I'm probably in an estrogen ocean. There's a lot of ladies out there. (laughs) Hey, there's some guys too. It's Father's Day, so I know there'll be a lot of men joining us as well. So a big shout out to all the men out there. Woo woo. So, but in all seriousness, I love the messy table podcast. Um, I love what you've been doing with it. So I remember when you started having conversations with me probably two years ago or more about this vision that God had laid on your heart and just watching you take next steps with it and seeing all that God has done through it and the impact that it's having. I hear from women all the time who tell me, um, how a story from a lady that's been on the podcast has impacted their life in a significant way, and I also love to point people towards it because no matter what somebody is struggling with, um, there's been somebody on the podcast that has perspective and godly insight into that. So I love the messy table.
0: Well, you've been the biggest support through the whole thing, and you got to see the messy beginnings whenever it felt really silly and when I was up in the middle of the night watching YouTube videos trying to figure out how to make it work. So it's
1: amazing what God will do when we just keep seeking Him and taking next steps. He'll Always exceed our expectations. He has definitely done that.
0: Well, depending how long people have been listening to the podcast, they may or may not know anything about us. So will you just introduce yourself, our family, your job, passions, whatever will give people a glimpse into your life?
1: Absolutely. So a little bit of a funny question coming from you because you already know, <laughs> I know everything all. about me. But You're telling those, the world. You're you telling go. everyone else. Okay, absolutely. So uh, my wife, Jen, and I have been married for almost 12 years. She is no doubt, I would say my better half, but that's not even right. She's like 90 and I'm like 10%. That's kind of how this goes for us. Um, we've got two kiddos. Hallie, our daughter, she's nine. Jack, our son, he is six. They are wiry, spunky full of fun. You'll probably end up hearing a story or two about them before we get done. We love all things outdoors. I love to fish. I love to hunt, sports. Um, I am a pastor at Life Church. Life Church is one church in multiple locations. We currently have 29 locations throughout the nation, and we are passionate about the local church, we believe with everything in us that the local church is the hope of the world through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we've devoted our life and our family to it. I've been a pastor at Life Church now for coming up on eight years. So it's been exciting to watch and see what God has done and to get to be a part of it. So
0: for people who don't go to Life Church, who don't completely understand, maybe looking on, they're like, 29 locations. What? Like, that's crazy. What is this model kind of all about and how does it work?
1: Yeah, so we it's a multi-site model. Our senior pastor is Pastor Craig Groeschel. Uh, he is an absolutely, unbelievably gifted communicator and leader. I'm thankful for him and the impact that he has had in my life. And then we have pastors at each of our 29 locations, and each location has a campus pastor, which would lead everything there at that location. So I'm currently a campus pastor at one of our locations in the Tulsa metro area. And one thing that we firmly believe as a church is that we're all about the capital C Church. So it's not about life church; it's about Christ Church across the world. And we like to say that we're one way of doing church. We don't claim to be the best way of doing church, but it's how God has called us to do it. We're partnered with other incredible ministries literally around the world to make an impact and to reach people for Christ.
0: That's right. So lots of people know you as a pastor, but you weren't always in vocational ministry. So tell everyone kind of what that process looked like when it was going down.
1: Yes, that was an interesting season for sure. So at that time, I was in business. I was self-employed. I was in construction and real estate, running a business, um, entrepreneurial type things. Absolutely loved it. Um, I knew in that season, that's where God had called us to be. We were a part of Life Church as attenders at the time. I'm falling in love with the church and with what God was doing. And we attended and we served and we gave and we were a big part of the church at that time. Actually, many people don't know it, but Jen was actually on staff during that season. And when we had our daughter, Hallie, um, she stepped down out of ministry to take care of our kiddos. And so it was during that season that I really felt called and Jen felt the same thing that I was being called into vocational ministry. I use that term vocational ministry because here's the deal. We are all called to full-time ministry, no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're in the workplace, the marketplace, business, we are all called to full-time ministry. Our lives are full-time ministry. But it was in that season that I was continuing to feel called into vocational ministry to be a pastor. It was definitely going to be a lot of changes for us. Um, pretty much everything we knew, life as we knew it, we knew it would be different. And we started taking um, some next steps and continued down that path. And uh, probably 18 to 18 months, two years later, um, became a pastor at Life Church.
0: Yeah, it's neat to think back because during that season, and we don't have time to go into it all right now, but there were a lot of kind of God confirmations, times that you were truly stepping out in faith, selling businesses, getting things together. And it was all like, okay, we feel like God's doing something. And we thought it was ministry, but we weren't really sure what it was. We thought it was maybe Life Church, but we weren't positive. And so there was just a lot of unknowns, a lot of stepping into kind of just that space of trusting God
1: and and seeing what you would do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing is we just kept taking next steps and every step we took seeking God, um, we would get more clarity and more confirmation and even some redirection at times. Uh, But one thing that we have seen in our lives is that God will almost always exceed your expectations. It's rarely in the way that you think. Um, Growing up as a kid through uh, high school, through college, I didn't feel called into vocational ministry. Um, But God uh, had different plans than I did, and it turns out that his ways are higher. His plans are better. Uh, I promise you that the most joy and fulfillment you will ever find in life is stepping out in obedience and living out God's calling in your life, God's will for your life, instead of our own plans, our own desires. And what I'm not saying is, is that everybody's called to vocational ministry. That's absolutely not the case. Um, but all of us are uniquely called in different ways to make an impact and appoint people for Christ because at the end of the day, that's why we're here is to know him and to make his name known.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So like we said, it's a little awkward interviewing the person that you know best. And so I actually got some help today. I had some friends and some listeners throw out some questions to ask you. So here we go. Question number one, how are you guys the same? And how are you different?
1: Uh, so I would say that by and far, we have a lot of similarities. So a lot of the, the big stuff, obviously, the big rocks, the high priority, um, that's why we fell in love with each other was um, our passion to honor and serve God, um, our love for our family and the priority that we give that. So a lot of the big things um, and we see eye to eye. One thing I know for sure is that we don't always hear things the same.
0: Stop it. Don't go there. We're going to start another fight. It's Yanny. No, it's Laurel.
1: It it is absolutely Yanny. I hope I have some team Yanny folks out there. Uh, It was about two weeks ago when she played that for me. And I'm like, that says Yanny. But
0: here's the deal. It came out. The person who came up with it, they were actually saying Laurel. So you hear it wrong.
1: That's debatable.
0: Or I guess it makes a lot of sense, though, because, you know, sometimes we don't hear things the same. And now I'm kind of understanding why.
1: Well possibly it's just because you're not listening well. I don't know. Possibly it's because you're wrong. <laughs> if you don't know about Yanny and Laurel, you should Google it. So there's um there's a bunch of ways that we are different though. I would say one would be the thermostat. Oh my goodness. No,
0: you make it like an ice box in here.
1: It is. She is cold. All the time, no matter what, heat of the summer, it's like maybe I should grab a jacket before I go outside. It's ridiculous. So she burns me out sometimes. I'll go change the thermostat and she'll go change it back. And it just kind of goes up and down all day long when we're home together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the thermostat, you can pray for us there. Um, Okay. So say we're eating a bowl of ice cream. I would eat my bowl of ice cream at a normal rate that (laughs) that an ordinary person would consume a bowl of ice cream. But she will literally like babysit hers. So like it is a little nibble here and there. I'm and it,
0: savoring. It's like it, she's not just, just taking
1: care of it, and it maybe like an hour later, I like to enjoy it. She's still nibbling, which at that point I'm hungry again, and I want a bite. But she's over there savoring it. So you know all those funny little quirks that uh, that I love about you, babe.
0: So you evaluate a situation and make a rash decision.
1: Uh, rash is not the right word. <laughs> Um, What she's she's trying to say is I'm decisive, (laughs) which would leave you as not so decisive. So I like to evaluate all the options
0: and make the right decision.
1: Yeah. I consider it
0: thinking things through.
1: So I am quicker to come to conclusions and make decisions. And my incredible wife likes to weigh out all the different options. Um, Even after we've made the decision, maybe go and reevaluate all the options again (laughs) But in all honesty, I'm glad that we have some differences. Those are kind of silly examples. But I would definitely say that we're better together. Mm -hmm. And um, some of what God has put inside of me balances you and you definitely um, balance me. And we can honor and serve God better together. So in the beginning, maybe some differences or um, little quirks might be annoyances or might cause frustration. But the longer we've been married, the more that I've been able to appreciate the differences of how God has wired us and to be able to leverage those together um, and being self-aware of what areas we do need some balancing in mm-hmm. and allowing God to use it and make us stronger. Yeah, together. that's true.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So next question, how do you make time for each other, especially when children have constant needs? And how do you keep things spicy?
1: Well, that's, um, that's two different questions. I'll go with the first one. And I'll let you answer how we keep things spicy. How do you make... Who who asked this question? So
0: I'm interviewing you. I just uh-huh. want you to know you have yeah. to answer
1: these questions. Okay. My guess is Latonya. So we definitely have had to learn to say no to a lot of things. So one of the ways we would say it is we give up things we love for things we love even more. So we have to say no to good things to be able to say yes to the best things. So making each other a priority, knowing that our relationship and our marriage is not going to be strong on accident, that we have to put time and energy and intentionality to it. So we plan for it and make each other a priority. A couple of practical things was i had a mentor tell me one time that the one of the best things that they did for their marriage was that every year they would go somewhere alone together and if you're married and if you have kids you know this to be true is that when you go on vacation with your kids that's not a vacation. That's a trip. That's a family trip. And if you go on a family trip thinking it's a vacation, you're going to come Ooh, back exhausted disappointed. and disappointed, right? Yeah. So, a family trip is you might come back more tired than when you left. A vacation, but great is, memories but with great your family. But great memories and absolutely worth it. You need to do it, but you just need to know the difference. That's a family trip. Um, so, we've made it a priority. To take a vacation, to just time, just Jen and I together um, once a year. Now, different seasons bring different things. I know um, the years that our kids were both newborns, um, it changed that a little bit. But. Yeah, I
0: don't think we did it those years, or maybe we got away in a, another town close, like an overnight.
1: But that's been a big deal. My wife's love language is travel. (laughs) And um, so that's and it really
0: is quality time. And so I like that when we're away together, that we're not looking at our phones. Even a staycation is great and it's practical. But then there's dishes that need to be done. There's trash. There's all kinds of just, you know, everyday home things you need to do. So I think getting away, even if it's in your own town, just going downtown, staying in a hotel is a great way to just reconnect and talk just you all without kids interrupting and all of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, and it doesn't always have to be elaborate or expensive. Just getting away the two of you is a big deal. So, and then another thing that I would say that is pretty practical um, is some advice that I got from another mentor. Um, his name is Mark Dreyer, who was a pastor for 40 something years, and um, he's now in his 70s, incredible man of God. And He recommends, and this is something that we've adopted, in addition to date night, you hear about date night a lot, plan date nights, uh, absolutely do that. In addition to that, plan a family meeting. That sounds um, maybe too official, but just a time on the calendar where Jen and I can go over things, whether that's the budget, whether that's our schedule, what's coming up for the week, um, then that allows us to get that all done in one sitting. Then when we are on a date night or spending time together, We don't need to worry about business per se. Um, We can just have fun and be together.
0: Because otherwise, every time you're together, you're having to go over little things, small things constantly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In addition to to date night, have a family meeting. It can be, um, you know, Monday mornings. It could be any time. Give the kids something to do and take 15 minutes. Family meeting. Mm -hmm. And then I think you asked something about how do we keep things spicy? (laughs)
0: well sorry i'll just uh,
1: did you say sorry dad
0: yeah (laughs) he listens to these
1: well i would just say that there's not a tv in our bedroom
0: yeah that's good (laughs) that's good (laughs) all right moving on so what do you fight about
1: i don't know that it's as much what we fight about because there's not a big topic that we're consistently fighting about. I think... The, it's always a bunch of little things. Yeah, that's right. The better question for us would probably be when do we fight? And we have learned over the years, which has brought some self-awareness, that it's typically later at night. It's typically... When we're when tired. Tired or hungry. Um, I can get a little hangry. So instead of being mm-hmm. irritable now, I try to just uh, be a little mellow and quiet and then I'll eat and everything's back to normal, right? So it's probably more self-awareness of when we're vulnerable to fight or be a little bit more unrealistic with each other. And it's
0: also how we've learned to fight. I think when we were first married, we didn't fight very healthy and now we fight in a really healthy way.
1: Yeah. So uh, as Pastor Craig would say it is we probably fought towards victory instead of for resolution. So we were just trying to win arguments Mm -hmm. instead of actually trying to resolve them and come up with good solutions for our family most of our fights were about two things it was either uncommunicated expectations or unrealistic expectations so even (laughs) if they were communicated it's like wait a second just because we dream that up in our heads that's not actually reasonable right and i can't put that on my wife or maybe it was an expectation she had of me so we've learned a lot through that as well
0: And I think when you get married, too, you suddenly have someone else, obviously, right there that you're trying to get along with and love. And it's just not always easy. And so I know like I'm a harmonizer. I'm an includer. I like peace. And when we first got married... You know he would kind of rub me the wrong way and I would get mad and blow up and you went into your lawyer mode is what I called it. You Mm. would stay very calm but you would articulate every single thing that I had just said and why it was wrong and and I would, I need to go on a run. I need to go on a drive and so we learned early on, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay in the room. We're going to have a calm conversation and hear each other out and we don't do it perfectly, but...
1: You probably wouldn't believe that sweet Jen threw a coat at me one time and the zipper hit me in the face. Cut my face. Cut me. (laughs) She cut me y'all. When when we first got married, so abusive. um, one thing that I learned about myself is that I was extremely selfish. I mean, when we get married, I mean, before that we thought about ourselves most. And then as we got married and realizing that I am called to serve and love my bride ahead of myself, that was an adjustment. And then I thought I had it pretty much figured out. And then we had kids and I was like, oh my goodness, I am still really selfish. (laughs) Now we have two people that constantly need us, right? So a lot of learnings. The fun thing about marriage, though, is that if you think about the verse as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I always thought about that in my life as me and maybe a, a strong male figure, a strong male mentor sharpening each other. But what I've found is that the best relationship and the one that has sharpened me the most, and I think Jen would say the same, is our marriage. Because we're two people striving to honor Christ. We see all sides of each other. Yep,
0: the good, bad, and ugly.
1: And it's part of that refining process. Um, as we've kind of worked some of that stuff out, I would say that we're both better and honor God in our lives more because of that sharpening, but sometimes that sharpening, like that verse, you put it on coffee cups and it's, you know, maybe hanging in your kitchen. It's like, as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. It's like, that's not pretty. Iron sharpening iron is iron clanging against iron. There's heat, there's friction, there's sparks, but what it does is it produces a better result. So we've seen that in our marriage. Mm -hmm. Okay. So
0: as we're talking about kind of the marriage relationship, a word that has kind of become a curse word today is the word submission. Yet wives are told in scripture to submit to their husbands. So what does that look like in a modern day marriage? What do you think?
1: Oh, submit There's a nasty word for some people, right? But it's really not, not in the context of which it's used in the Bible. So let's talk about that verse. It's Ephesians 5, 25 is where Paul's talking. And he's comparing the relationship of a husband and wife to that of christ and the church so it gives us a good model of what a marriage should look like and so he says to husbands he says to us men he says husbands love your wife even as christ loved the church and gave himself up for it so if you just pause for a minute men that are listening right now you think about the magnitude of that verse so we're supposed to love our wife as christ loved the church and gave himself up for it we're supposed to love our bride as christ loved us what did christ do for us he laid down his life for us he put our needs ahead of his needs that's a big deal i'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how to love and serve my wife in that way and then it's followed by the verse with submit that is used out of context it says wives Submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So this isn't a negative thing. This is a wife coming alongside of her husband, supporting, encouraging, loving her husband, doing life together, side by side. Um, any men that, and this is probably going to be a strong statement, but I believe it, any men that would use that verse uh, to try to control a woman. You have to submit to me. Um, The Bible tells you, God tells you that you have to submit to me because I'm the husband, I'm the man. Um, That is absolutely against what that first verse would say is we're supposed to love and serve our wives as Christ loved and served the church. So I think it would be a coward move of a man to use that verse to try to manipulate and control a woman. So the picture here is husbands, we're supposed to be a man that is worth following because of the way we're loving and serving our bride and wives. You're supposed to be a wife that's worth dying for. That's mm-hmm. what scripture is calling us to do.
0: Yeah. And we won't do it perfectly, but we're going to give it all we got.
1: Absolutely. And when we do, um, marriage is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy. Um, but it's a, it's a big deal. But
0: it is a gift. And yeah.
1: it's a sacred relationship created by God. And it is a gift for sure. The
0: that's first familiar. problem in the world was that it wasn't good that man would be alone. Absolutely. So we were the first solution.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> good, babe. You
0: remember that, okay? I'll remember that. <laughs> All right, next question. What's something wives can do to help their husbands be the dads, husbands, godly men they were created to
1: be? That is a great question, whoever asked it. And... I would simply say encouraging them, encourage any little thing. I mean, if you see your husband um, leading the kids or leading in prayer or just encourage what gets rewarded gets repeated, right? So, you know, use your imagination on what that reward might look like, but you can, (laughs) my wife's giving me a look right now, you can, um, you can encourage them and it's a, heavy weight for men, um, I can say this personally, of the thought of being the spiritual leader in the family. And so um, if you're a lady out there right now, your husband has had that thought and that feeling of the spiritual leader. Well, how, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that. What what if I fail? What if how do I even go about that? Right. And so when they step out, Encourage, encourage, encourage. And you know, some women, not all women, um, maybe can end up nagging their husbands. And so if you spend more time nagging them of what you want them to be and making them feel defeated of what they're not, instead of encouraging what you do see, um, what you can do is you can create a situation where your husband feels like he can't win. And most men, if they feel like it's an area that they can't win in, They might uh, retreat or not even want to play. So encouragement.
0: Yeah, that's big. So I have a question for you, though. It comes up a lot where a woman might say, well, my husband isn't worth submitting to. What do you do then?
1: Yeah, so God cares about our response. So I would encourage you to spend less time worrying about how your husband isn't living up to the man that God has called him to be. Spend all your time and energy Being the spouse that you want to have and controlling your response and being the wife that God has called you to be, and then pray. Mm -hmm. Pray for your husband and pray,
0: seek counseling in the right season. And we're not talking about
1: abuse. Absolutely not. No. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to get help now. You need to get space, do whatever you need to do um, to protect yourself and your family.
0: Get safe, and then you can begin to seek reconciliation.
1: Yeah, but the thought would be is maybe if your husband isn't leading the family how you would want him to or your family's not in the situation that you want it to be, is you can't force anybody to do anything. So do your part and just pray and trust and believe, encourage, get help, and allow God to to move in your husband instead of you trying to— Move your husband. Mm
0: -hmm. So I had a gal ask me this week, actually. Um, She was just expressing that she really wanted to start praying together and moving together spiritually. And now they have a little young son. And it feels awkward, right, to start praying together. And so she was asking, you know, how do we start that? What does it look like? Should I initiate it? What do you think?
1: So I think absolutely you can initiate it. Just because the man's called to be the spiritual leader doesn't mean that the wife should never contribute anything. Right. Jen, Jen does... So many great things, you know, she'll grab the devotional that we'll read at breakfast. And, you know, some people might think, oh, well, you know, you're a pastor. So, you know, you do these long, lengthy, deep theological devotions with your kids. It's like, no, it's reading out of a devotional Bible. We've rotated different ones, Um, a three to five minute story and asking one to two questions and Trying to keep them somewhat engaged, <laughs> trying um, to make it fun, yeah. Just trying to keep it fun and light, and so we want to model it more consistently and and don't overcomplicate it. If you dream up this. Uh, elaborate setting of what your devotional is supposed to look like, or what your husband's supposed to bring, or you picture him leading you in a Bethmore Bible study, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Then maybe you should go back to what we were talking about before is maybe uncommunicated expectations or unrealistic expectations. It might not always look like exactly what you think it should, but yes, um, the husband and the wife should both be modeling what it means to be a follower of Christ in the home and into our kids.
0: So we're coming up on Father's Day and you've been a dad now for over nine years. And one of the questions we have is what have you learned along the way kind of in your parenting journey?
1: I've learned that it is never boring. Um, <laughs> raising kids is a lot of fun and every season's different. And man, they keep you on your toes like uh, <laughs> a story that comes to mind is is when Jack was probably three years old, I was upstairs and Jen was downstairs. I was getting him out of the bathtub. And, you know, at that time we were, I hope this isn't too much, but oh well. At that time we would just call everything a private, right? Or your bottom. Your bottom, your private, either way. So Jen and I hadn't really had any conversations about when do we start using other terms? Which ones are we going to go with? And so here we are, um, Jack asked, Jen, what did he ask you? He said, what, what is this called? said,
0: What's that? What's this? What's
1: that called? What's that called? And she says, go ask your dad. (laughs) (laughs) So here he comes stomping up the stairs. And we I'm coming down the stairs, we meet on the stairs. And he goes, Dad, what do you call my private? And I said, son, that's a penis. And he looked back at me and immediately said, you're a penis. (laughs)
0: And I was standing in the living room watching this. I'll go down. He's butt naked on the stairs. You're a penis.
1: That's supposed to be like a a middle school joke. Like, not yet. You're you're three years old. You're a penis, Dad. Okay. So, and then he goes, well, what's a girl's called? And so I'm still a little shooken up from my three-year-old son calling me a penis. And so I thought to myself, huh? what are we going to tell our kids that a girls is called? And so I said, babe, what do you call a girl? And he looked at you like you were an idiot. Like, you he, don't know what it's called. <laughs> he looked at me like I was an absolute moron. It's like, my dad knows nothing.
0: Uh, and the reason, yeah. so, and then we ended up calling them the appropriate names, which is good at that age. But when they were real young, you know, they're just
1: walking around. They're telling. I, I didn't want them to call everybody else at Church of Penis.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: So it's never boring, right? Never boring. Um, You know, I had a a great example as as we talk about Father's Day. I had a great example in my dad, and I'm so thankful for him. And he modeled integrity. He modeled consistency and just what it means to be a man of God. And so I know that's not everybody's story. Um, So I am extremely thankful for that. And that's helped me tremendously as I try to um, be a godly father to our kids, and so you know the other thought would be is that the jury's still out. I mean, our kids are nine and six. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of yeah. people that
0: have a lot more wisdom than we Absolutely. do on parenting.
1: We don't have it all figured out for sure, and we're learning something new in every season. And so we we can't give you all the answers. Um, I, I definitely can't fill your cup up. The only thing I can do is pour my cup out. So I'll share with you anything that, that we have learned. Um, one thing that we really try to model with our kids is we don't just wanna have behavior modification. Um, We wanna go after their hearts. And we want to, and everything, I love how uh, Matt Chandler says it, is putting kenneling around their heart. So we can't force our kids to become followers of Christ. But man, we can control the things that we expose them to, um, are the example that we set. And so it's a big deal as we parent our kids. We don't wanna just modify behavior. We want to go after their heart. And a great book for that is called Shepherding a Child's Heart um, by Ted Tripp. It's a great read. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. Um, one thing that we focus on with our kids is we want them to to always know the why behind the what. So it's not just don't do that. We kind of put everything around what Christ says is the two most important things is love God, love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So The easy way to say that is love God, love people. So everything we do with our kids, anytime we discipline them, it's not, hey, don't lie. Why not? Just because the Bible says not to. It's no. When you lie, you hurt the heart of God and you hurt the relationships with people around you. That's not loving God. That's not loving people. So not just behavior modification, but really going after the heart.
0: All right. So this is from your buddy, Sam. How does a man know if he's doing life well and winning as a father? Um, and I know we can be the hardest on ourselves, especially when it comes to parenting. So how do you know when you're actually getting it right?
1: So first you needed to find the win. So what is the win for you? Uh, it's different for everybody, depending on your values. But if you're a follower of Christ, it's probably pretty consistent. So my wins My priorities are, first and foremost, I am a follower of Christ. I want to have a strong relationship with Christ. And I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Christ. So my top priority is my relationship with Christ. My second priority is my marriage. People argue about this, whether, you know, kids are next or marriage is next. Absolutely, all day long, your marriage is next. Your spouse is next. The best thing you can do for your kids is model for them what a godly marriage looks like. And the best thing for our kids is if we have a healthy godly marriage. So as far as it goes with you, you can help lead towards that in your family. And then would come our kids. And so keeping the priorities right, how do you know if you're winning? I would say look at your calendar, look at your bank statements, look at where you're spending your time and your money and see does that align with your priorities? And um, we can't always gauge are we winning or not by the response that our kids are having because our goal isn't to make our kids happy. So there might be seasons where they don't enjoy um, the boundaries that we're setting or the the direction we're leading them because they want to do what they want to do. Right. So that's not the appropriate gauge. The appropriate gauge is am I honoring God in every area of my life. I love the verse that says, follow my examples, I follow the example of Christ. And so what that doesn't mean is that we always have to be perfect. I talk to a lot of dads who just feel this need to to be perfect and if they mess up in in one area, they feel like, man, they just sunk the ship. And I would say it's actually the opposite, is when we fell, and this was a huge relief for me, and I hope that it speaks to a dad out there somewhere. It was a huge relief to me to know that when I fall short, because I'm going to, there's no way I can help from falling short. When I fall short, it's actually a teaching opportunity. It's actually an opportunity for me to model to my kids our mutual brokenness. Mm-hmm. And my. And we need, apologize a lot. Absolutely. My need for God's grace and forgiveness. And it models that for them and um, is an opportunity to again to, to just lead by example of what it means to follow yeah. Christ. and i
0: I hear you say that, daddy, sorry, I used
1: the wrong tone i yeah, so one thing if um it's not a question, but I'll just go ahead and divulge it anyway. one thing that um that I'm working on right now is I mean my tone is I have patience with everybody in my life, my least amount of patience seems to go to my kids sometimes, and you know that just you know how it is. They'll disobey. They'll be disrespectful. And my tone would show that I am frustrated at them. And so I've had to apologize to Hallie specifically because what I noticed was her using the same kind of tone with Jack. And I'm like, where did you? Oh, Ah. (laughs) yeah, you learned that from me. And so the way that I'm heading it off is I I took it as an opportunity to apologize, to admit where I was wrong, and to model that I'm growing and learning, and I'm also expecting you to grow. And so um, when I apologized to Allie for that and told her that's something that I'm going to do better, be more cautious of, now, anytime that tone starts to slide a little bit, she knows and I know that I get to apologize again. So it brings some accountability um, to the relationship. But then it also helps allow me to hold her accountable for the things that we're talking about with her right now and areas that we're asking her to grow and improve on. So there's a verse in first Thessalonians two 11 that says, for, you know, that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. This is Paul talking. He goes on to say, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So, I hope that in Jen and I's parenting that we are encouraging, comforting, and urging our kids to live life worthy of God.
0: Yeah, that's good. So we're obviously talking about the value and importance of a man's influence in his family. What would you say to single moms in situations where dad isn't around, either by choice or because of a tragedy?
1: Yeah, there's a verse in Psalms that talks about how God is a father to the fatherless, how he's a defender of widows. So no matter what your circumstance or situation, if you find yourself as a single mom right now, I would just encourage you that God is sufficient, that he is a father to the fatherless and far more important than our earthly father is our heavenly father. And he will meet you and meet your kids right where you are. And he will also provide, as you diligently look for it, um, some positive male figures to to speak into your kids' lives. That could even be uh, for us in the context of life church. It could be in a life group, small group setting. Um, it could be uh, switch leaders, youth leaders, or life kids leaders at church. There's a lot of opportunities there. And just do what you can do, and just pray and believe that God will do what only He can do. He is a father to the fatherless. There are many, many examples of incredible men and women of God who did not have a strong father figure mm-hmm. or actually quite the opposite, had a, a very poor example of what a father is mm-hmm. in their lives. And God is sufficient.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: Just as the Bible says, not all things are good, but all things can be used for good for those who love the Lord. So keep taking next steps and he will prove himself faithful. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, we'll I have another question for you. Do you have any quick parenting tips or life hacks that you could just throw at us?
1: Oh man, absolutely. So probably the easiest thing you can do, it's low-hanging fruit, is consistently attend church. So if you are near a life church location, we would love for you to come join us. If you're not near a Life church location, find any Bible-teaching church near you. Get connected. Get plugged in. Um, set the example for your kids of consistently attending church. I'll talk to parents sometimes that their kids will be going off to college, and they'll come up, and, Derek, would you pray for my kid? They're off at college, and they haven't gotten plugged into church, and I don't think they've been at all in the last three months. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, that's not surprising because the truth is is I've only seen you about once every three to six months for the last three or four years. So why would you expect something different from your kids? So we set the example. We set the tone as parents. Again, we can control what we expose them to. We can control the example that we set, but not just going to church, being a part of the church, serving to where they're experiencing being used by God. Allow a local church to partner with you. You don't have to do it alone. We grow best in trusted relationships and best in relationships with others. That's what the church is.
0: All right. Well, do you have any final words on kind of the topic of parenting? Anything else you want to share?
1: Enjoy the season. I know this is something that you and I are constantly (laughs) reminding ourselves um, Because each season brings new challenges and maybe even frustrations and just enjoy the season. We were talking the other day that our oldest daughter, Hallie, has maybe eight, eight or nine more summers in our house. And so the days might seem long, but the years are really short. I remember before we had kids, people would say, oh, it's, it goes by quick I would think, you know, time still moves at the same pace, 24 hours a day. <laughs> and then you have a newborn in it days feels a week, really long really slow, every right? single day. Yeah, absolutely. But it's an experiential truth. It's something that you can only understand when you're in it. And I look back now and think, Hallie's nine. It's gone by so fast. Um, the next nine years will as well. So soaking it in. go even faster. Yeah, absolutely. Soaking it in, enjoying the seasons, and also enjoying the winds. So um, Hallie, the other day, she took an extra three dollars for snow cones at their school. She we gave her three dollars for her, and she took three dollars of her own money in case one of her friends forgot, which they did, and she was able to buy them a snow cone. And you know, we were just thinking, wow, she's getting it that she's being generous to others. And then the other day, Jack, he was inviting a little boy in his class to come to church and was telling him, oh, it's okay. There's six different service options. Surely you can come to one of them. And little did Jack know, but their parents right now are actually going through a divorce and a really difficult time for their parents right now. And he's inviting this little boy to church. So, you know, the thought that so much more is caught than taught, um, that's where our example is really important. They're watching what we do. They're seeing what we do. So the best thing that we can do as parents is strive to live the example of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ in every area. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think part of being a fully devoted follower of Christ for me is humbling myself before God, admitting that I can't do it all, that I'm not God, that Mm -hmm. I'm far from perfect, that the only perfect one is Jesus. And so even when we're saying like, follow us as we follow Christ. And yes, we're going to strive. And, and as the sanctification process kind of plays out in my own life, we are going to be made more into his image, but really it's dying to ourself and pointing to him every day. And that's what we hope they pick up on. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're kind of shifting gears and I have another question for you. When has there been a time that you did not fully understand what God is doing, but you had to trust that he was working?
1: I talked a little bit earlier about my transition into vocational ministry and that calling into vocational ministry. There's a there's a lot of story there um, that didn't happen overnight or instantaneously. It was a process as we took next steps towards that. But as we were first wrestling with that idea, we knew that God was stirring in both of us that a new season was coming. And it was about that time that we were building uh, in the process of looking for uh, and then building a second Life Church location in the Tulsa metro area. So this was probably three, four years before I actually came on staff as a pastor. But at that time, I felt like God was calling me to talk to the church about building the actual church, the actual facility, the building. So I was in construction and real estate, as I mentioned earlier. And so it it made sense to me that God was stirring inside of me and that's kind of what I knew, so that's what I gravitated towards. So I talked with the church, and um, it ended up not working out. And I felt like, God, I'm trying to seek you and follow you and step out in faith. And then the door was completely closed. But that's how God works sometimes. We take next steps, maybe maybe steps in the right direction, but still off a little bit. And It was through that process that I continued to seek God. And he continued to guide and direct. He had something in mind that I actually couldn't even imagine. And he didn't want me to just build his church physically, the building. Um, I can look back now, hindsight's 2020, right? And see that God was calling me to build his church. Because the church is not a building. The church is the people, the body of Christ. And all along, that's where God was directing me. It just took me a minute to catch on and wrap my little finite mind around God's infinite plan. And then since that time in the last eight years, we have been absolutely blown away at what God has allowed us to be a part of. We've been a part since that time of launching three brand new life church locations in the Tulsa metro area and just love seeing what God is doing in His church and humbled that He allows us to play a small part.
0: So it's funny how you head in one direction and then God changes your plans. Like, for example, when we first got married at the time, Derek was flipping houses. And so we actually bought a 1930s farmhouse in the Tulsa area, kind of on the outskirts of town. And our plan was, and what we did was we fixed it up and renovated it. But our plan was to move and flip a house, what, every two
1: years? Every two years. Yeah. We told her for the first 10 years of our marriage, we're going to move every two years. So buy a house, fix it up. Flip it every two years, so five times, and that didn't happen. We actually, as God redirected everything, um, ended up getting to be a part of launching a brand new church every every few couple years. years. Yeah. So um, His ways are better; His ways are higher. We still live in that same three-bedroom farmhouse, and it's been. 12 years now <laughs> yeah
0: and let me just say it was really bad when we first moved in it was bad um, and i actually brushed my teeth in the backyard for the first week we were married side note
1: that's a true story so we moved in <laughs> and we had and to just go
0: to your parents house to shower
1: that's also true we had that a was bedroom done was. with carpet but the bathroom wasn't done yet and the rest of the house wasn't done yet so as i finished the bathroom she brushed her teeth in the backyard with the garden yeah rooms, you said you had to
0: prove I had to prove my love
1: Yeah, to make sure she loved me, you see, <laughs> because when I first told her that I loved her when we were dating, she said, thank you. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> reminds me of that, friends.
0: I said, I love you. She said, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Yeah. I love you so much.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I loved you first. <laughs> I loved
0: you then. I just wasn't quite ready. Again, you're
1: more decisive.
0: I just needed a minute. <laughs> uh,
1: And for the record, we were in a farmhouse before Chip and Joanna Gaines were cool.
0: That's right. We were way before their time.
1: Way before. We should have had a TV show.
0: We should have. All right. So doctors see a lot of sickness. Librarians see a lot of books. And you're in ministry. And I know you see a lot of things. You're there for a lot of the joys of life, but then also for a lot of the sorrows or when someone's going through a really hard time. So what's something you see a lot being in ministry that you wish others knew so that they could avoid common pitfalls that... Tripped a lot of people up?
1: That's a great question. And I'm actually really passionate about it. So I'm glad that somebody asked. I do see some very common themes. And the truth is, is they won't be that surprising to you. But I see it over and over and over again and have conversations with people about it all the time, as well as the rest of our pastors. And it'd be probably three things that rise to the top. It'd be divorce, it'd be affairs, and it would be addiction. Divorce, affairs, and addictions. The Bible says that Satan is the author of lies, that he's roaring around like a lion, seeing who he can devour. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And unfortunately, I've seen it far too many times. Uh, but the truth is, is that Satan ha- doesn't have any new tactics. There's nothing new that he can come at us with. The Bible talks about how we are privy to Satan's schemes. And so I think. If you really boil down all of those divorce, affairs, addictions, honestly, anything else that Satan could use to destroy our lives, our marriage, our family, our influence, they all come down to spiritual complacency because my default and all of our defaults is complacent. None of us default to intentionality or to discipline, right? It's like swimming upriver. As soon as you let off, as soon as you become complacent man, you're drifting all over the place back into culture, which feeds us all kinds of lies of what normal is or what is okay or acceptable, culturally acceptable. And so it's so easy to get sucked in to all these different things. And so I would just encourage you in your marriage, fight for restoration, fight for a healthy marriage. It matters more than you can imagine. When it comes to Unfaithfulness, draw the lines way over to the side.
0: Yeah. I mean, we know no one plans to get a divorce. No one plans to have an affair. No one plans to get addicted, but it happens all the time. So what can people do to safeguard their lives?
1: So spiritual intensity and moral integrity. You can have moral integrity without spiritual intensity, but you cannot have spiritual intensity without moral integrity. So the word of God, I'm staying close to God And then I would say having the right people in your life. Show me your five closest friends. I'll show you your future. So having accountability and having boundaries. So we draw the line of living above reproach. We move it way over. And we want to have safeguards, tripwires, whatever it takes to keep us from moving down any of those paths. Because the truth is, is, it doesn't happen quickly. It normally happens over a long period of time
0: mm-hmm. and then it's normalized
1: yep satan is conniving it's a it's a little step it's a little step it's a little step until you cross a line and you say man I, I i would have said that i would never have done that but it's one little step at a time
0: so i think it's interesting that one thing that you've said throughout this little podcast recording is keep taking next steps towards god towards your marriage towards loving your kids And then right now I hear you saying that it's one little step in the wrong direction that gets you down a path you don't want to be on.
1: Absolutely. We're never just standing still. We're always moving in one direction or another. And the default without intentionality is we're drifting farther away from God and farther away from who we are made to be and who we want to be because we drift into our sinful nature into things of this world, which always brings hurt and pain and destruction. Mm -hmm. So there's things we can practically do to safeguard ourselves from falling into any of these traps or temptations. Uh, But some of you, most likely many of you right now, you know that you're getting close. You're flirting with danger in one or multiple of these areas. And my encouragement to you today is to get help tell somebody today. You'll be amazed of when you get help, when you tell somebody of what a weight will be lifted off of your shoulders. Satan wants us to feel like we're isolated, like we're alone. That's where we're the most vulnerable. Choose to allow others to be a part of the battle. So maybe you're flirting with somebody at work. You know that it's a dangerous relationship talk to somebody about it, do whatever it takes, get a new job. Your marriage is worth more than any job ever could be. Maybe for you, it's an addiction. Maybe you've hit it for a long time and you know that you're not in a healthy place. Get help. Tell somebody today, tell somebody in your small group, somebody at your church, a pastor, a Christian counselor, Don't do life alone. And we confess to God for forgiveness and we confess to people for healing, to help us to overcome these areas in our life. Yeah,
0: that's good. I actually had a friend say when she finally confessed that there was such freedom and having no more secrets and then moving towards healing finally. So it's Mm -hmm. huge.
1: And if your marriage is struggling right now, I just hope that you would hear some encouragement of how important it is, how much it matters and what it means to you, your family, your kids, generations. And restoration is always Always possible. possible. Mm -hmm. I have seen people take next steps, and God do what only He can do. He is a restorative God. And I have seen situations that are most likely much darker than the story that you are in right now. And I've seen God Restore the impossible. Mm -hmm. When two people are willing, your marriage can be better than you ever thought it could be and than it ever has been. You have to take next steps. It takes both people. Um, You can only do your part, but get help, fight for your marriage. Mm -hmm. So good.
0: Well, I want to know if you have any great books, podcasts, any resources that you want to pass along to everyone.
1: Yes. So for parenting specifically, I mentioned shepherding a child's heart earlier by Ted Tripp. It is a must-read. It's all about going after the heart and leading their heart towards Christ, and not just behavior modification. Twelve huge mistakes parents can avoid by Tim Elmore. A very practical, applicable book for parenting. Uh, parenting message series would be by Pastor Craig Groeschel, Life Church. You can go to the Life Church website. It's called Outlasters. And it is about raising biblically anchored, Christ centered world changers. You can go to Life Church website, search for it, and watch it for free. I'll put it in the
0: conversation notes too on my website. There so you go. easy.
1: You're so handy. Thank you. You got any more? A book that I recently read, actually listened to on Audible, which is a great tool if you're not using it, is a book called Boundaries. And it's by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. It's a fantastic book on how to establish and create healthy boundaries in any kind of relationship in your life and then how to live those out so you can thrive. It's a powerful book. And then another one would be Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. It's very practical on how to create moments that matter with your kids and your marriage, how to leverage and create powerful, lasting moments. I think that's probably enough for now.
0: Awesome. Well, one
1: last question. What final
0: word of encouragement or advice can you pass on to both the men and women listening today?
1: So, two things. The first one is it's not just what you do, it's who you are. When I first heard that, I had no idea what it meant. And I'm still unpacking it to this very day. If you are a follower of Christ, and I know with the listeners on this call right now, not everybody is. So first and foremost, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? We are saved by grace through faith. There is nothing we can do to earn it. We are sinful, broken people. Without Christ, I'm a dirtbag. But Christ came. He died. He rose again. He died in our place so we can live. So salvation is a free gift. It's available to you. But if you're a follower of Christ right now, I hope you realize who you are. What do I mean by that? You are a child of God. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. There is nothing that you could do to cause God to love you more or to love you less than he does right now. You have intrinsic value because you are created in the image of God. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave, lives inside of you. So it's, as we talk about leading by example, these aren't just things you do. We aren't human doings. We're human beings. So it starts with the identity of knowing who you are. And then the second thing would be a thought, a quote, actually, from Pastor Craig, which is consistently doing the right thing over a long period of time produces the right results. Everybody wants quick hits, quick wins, the get rich quick scheme. That's not how life works. Whether it's your health, your finances, parenting, your marriage, consistently doing the right thing over a long period of time produces the right results. So keep taking next steps. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Don't do it alone. Watch what God does over a long period of time.
0: Mm, We just had church. Sorry. (laughs) Don't be sorry. (laughs) Well, now everyone at the messy table got a glimpse into how awesome you are and got a peek at the wisdom that I get to live with every day. So I'm glad that we could record this without even leaving our house.
1: Just to give you a little glimpse into our lives, it is now almost 1030 and our kids have been sound asleep, so we could take this time to record this podcast with you. you. We are thankful for each and every one of you. And I hope and pray that God will use something to speak directly to you to encourage you. Keep taking next steps. We serve a good God, we serve a faithful God.
0: That's right. And now it's time for bed
1: where we don't have a TV. No.
0: Well, whether you're a man or woman, young or old, we're so thankful you joined us today. And in honor of Father's Day, we're giving away a copy of one of the books Derek referenced, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Simply share this episode on social media or tag three parents in your life who might benefit from this conversation, and we'll announce the winner next week. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free with one push of a button in all the usual places like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. You can also join my email list at jenjill.com and follow the Messy Table podcast on Instagram for added encouragement throughout your week. And sometimes people ask, what can I do to help? How can I help spread the word? And if you're willing, there are really two simple ways. If this is a blessing to you, share it with somebody else. And if you're an iPhone person, we'd be so grateful if you could leave a rating and review for us on iTunes. Somehow this helps bring visibility and gets this encouragement into the earbuds of more people who need to hear it. And that's it, guys. As you go about your week, remember, life is not perfect, but God is at work in your mess.